Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You're listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM, Chicago, Illinois. And I am your host, Tariq Alameen. Radio Islam is a live call-in talk radio program airing every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And we reach the world by streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. You can also log on to www.radioislam.com to check out guest bios, programming, previous shows, articles, and more. Now, if you haven't already done so, follow us on social media on every platform, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at the same handle, at Radio Islam USA. If you'd like to make a comment or ask a question during tonight's broadcast, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. And you can also tweet us at Radio Islam USA or tweet me directly because I've got my phone nearby at Imam Tariq el We thank you for tuning in, Radio Islam family. The phone isn't ringing right now, but we feel you listening. So tonight, we'll be about promoting diversity. Diversity is a great word. It's a harder application. But we'll be talking about promoting diversity in the face of white nationalism. That's the new, the new term that has come up synonymous with alt-right, basically separatist or supremacist. But diversity is what we want to try to put our focus on. So diversity is the thing that, as Americans, we are supposed to say we want. And we're supposed to embrace it as an ideal. Yet, some of us also fear it. Yes, we fear diversity. It is the fear of losing political sway because someone else's numbers are greater than yours. Or it's the fear of losing out in the job market because someone else comes to compete. Maybe someone else has a skill that you don't have. Or losing a place in line for a promotion because the field is just too crowded, or it's just the plain old simple fear of being left behind. And this type of fear is at the root of segregation, is at the root of legislation that controlled portions of our country for decades and decades. It's at the root of disenfranchisement. It was at the root of the black codes in Jim Crow. It is at the root of immigration policies that favor one country over another. It's this fear that's behind the finger pointing and the walls we put up between ourselves based on language, appearance, race, ethnicity, This fear is what keeps us from truly embracing a diversity that brings together the different parts of humanity that you find here in the United States of America. These different parts that strengthen one another, not take away from each other, that make for a more robust society, a more talented, a more productive society. So our fear of loss that has been behind some of the worst treatment that we have enacted upon one another or that has been enacted against others, right? Because it hasn't hasn't worked out up till this point as a two-way street. But this fear, this fear of loss, it lessens us. It divides us. It weakens us. So we'll be talking tonight about promoting diversity in the wake 
of white nationalism in the wake of this ideology that looks to separate instead of unite. This idea that lessens us instead of adds to our capacity. So the idea of a superior race or the thinking that America is the inheritance of a few and that others are trespassers here on someone else's American dream, while in fact it has taken the contributions of everyone who has come here to make America what it is, or to at least give us an idea, to give us an inkling of what America has the capability to be. Because America is a promise that is not yet realized. And we have to understand that the idea of diversity is really what we look to embrace. Not the idea of homogeneity, not the idea of us all looking the same, talking the same, thinking the same, but the idea that this diversity, this varied group, this collection of human beings, of cultures, of backgrounds, of perceptions, that we have an opportunity to bring that together for the collective benefit of everyone here. So when we come back, we're going to be joined by our guest for the evening, Dr. Malik Rahim, who I'll tell you about after the break. So stay with us. We appreciate you being with us. Like I said, the number, if you want to call in, 312-750-1178, 312-750-1178. You're listening to Radio Islam. I became his driver. Soon enough, it was up to me to be his housekeeper and financial manager, too. When he moved in, I became his cook and even his nurse. But no matter what roles I play, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the roles you play. So to help, we created aarp.org caregiving, where you can connect with experts and other caregivers. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I don't know how to talk like a parent. Don't make me come back there. You see what I mean? It's pretty awful. Try it again. Don't make me come back there. Now that's pretty good. That one kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUsKids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, Radio Islam family. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM Chicago. We reach the world by streaming live at radioislam.com. Well, let me take that back. You can go there for prior shows, articles, and guest bios. But you can stream us live at www.wcev1450.com. So as you know, we are 
live call-in talk show. We air, air every night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And if you'd like to join the conversation with us, give us a call at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. Follow and tweet us at Radio Islam USA. We are pleased, as I mentioned to you before we took a short break, to have Dr. Rahim, Dr. Malik Rahim, joining us on the phone. Uh, Before we formally introduce him and get him involved, I'd like to just give you a little bit of information about him. Dr. Malik Rahim received his EDD, that's a uh, doctorate, education and counselor education and supervision from Northern Illinois University and is a national certified counselor, a a licensed clinical professional counselor, and an approved clinical supervisor who is currently completing his fifth year as a tenure-track professor in the Counselor Education and Clinical Rehabilitation and Mental Health Counseling Department at California, California State University, Fresno. He's a native of Chicago and spends his summers here engaged in private clinical work, consulting, and clinical supervision. He is a sought-after speaker and facilitator, and he has facilitated workshops on a variety of topics, including cultural diversity and increasing multicultural understanding in counseling and education, contemporary issues of mental health issues of people of color, mental health issues of Muslims, sense of belonging with students of color, and Islamophobia. His research interests include ethnic and racial identity development, racial microaggressions, and racial battle fatigue, multiculturalism in counselor education, counseling Muslims, interpersonal relationships, personality disorders, and mental health issues with people of African descent. We thank you so much for joining us on Radio Islam this evening. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Rahim. Wa alaikum assalam. I'm about to say, wow, that guy sounds amazing. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I want to listen to him too. <laughs> you, you, you've been doing you've been doing some great work. So, alhamdulillah. Yes. Yeah, so, yes. Yeah, all praise be to God. Um, yeah. So, uh, we opened up with just a short commentary on on diversity, you know, and how how important it is, how it's to our, it is to our benefit, it strengthens us, and that the root of uh, segregation or moving away from this idea of diversity is really based in fear. So right. um, I'm curious to know, as, as, as one who, who teaches diversity and cultural competency and uh, who teaches the, the, the folks that interact with the public, what are your thoughts on America as a melting pot? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I really don't like the term melting pot because personally I feel that it's rooted in uh, white supremacy as a structural system. Mm. Because when the term initially came up, it was more or less uh, the immigrants were all white. They were Irish, Italian, Jews, uh, Polish. So it's like the concept of the accepted immigrant coming in and we, you know, all coming together and becoming one people was, you know, in order to um, solidify whiteness. But nowadays, since um, a lot of the immigrants are more or less um, people that are of color and are brown, um, the whole concept of melting pot, if it was really true, um, it would be no um, anger or discouragement with the country turning more and more brown. Mm. So I, I like to look at the concept of a melting pot as really the dynamics of white supremacy. I look at it more like a nice salad where you have each individual culture and each individual ethnicity um, standing alone in its own and blending together to create this nice meal. Mm. Um, so in essence, I, I, I think that um, that concept of the melting pot is kind of went by the wayside because of the uh, whole concept of white supremacy. And the, the dynamics of, you know, just trying to create a, a more dynamic white culture. Hmm. But even with even within that idea of the melting pot, do you see that there was a a, a hierarchy um, w- within that? Yes, there was a hierarchy. Uh, I think the hierarchy 
still on um well it used to be covertly now it's coming out more uh, overtly now with the uh recent elections mm-hmm. but the hierarchy has always been there and it's still there the um the problem come in is it's like when you talk about fear when people of privilege are asked you know are faced with people that facing the um oppression that the people who are oppressed wanting equality what happens is the person that have privilege they feel that they're being oppressed mm-hmm. because privilege is, is so common to them that it's just like breathing so it's so natural so they don't look at it as like they having these special privileges so when you know when when people that are muslims when people who are latino when people who are uh, of African descent, when people of Asian descent start saying that we want, you know, our fair share and we want to be treated as uh, equitable, what happened is that the people who've been having all the privileges all along look at it like they're being oppressed. So that's what you see now is a lot of pushback. But the hierarchy has always been there and it's still there when you look at the media, when you look at the different things, you can still see that it's still a white male uh, dominated society. Mm. So uh, there have been there have been assertions that what's really at the root of uh, where we are right now is the struggle for or to reclaim or retain the idea of American identity. Uh, do you uh, agree with that as, as a premise for the resurgence of of white nationalism? Um, and, and what what does that mean for other Americans? So is American identity at the root of white nationalism and yeah, and how does that translate into how how does that affect uh, others, uh, other non-white Americans? Wow, that's a that's, that's a powerful question. Um, when you when you look at that, I'm not a true historian, but when you look at that, mm-hmm. you got to understand that this society, American society, was formulated off of race and off of racism. Right. So a lot of the structures and the, uh, institutions are built off of racism. So. Nothing has really changed but the whole concept of people saying that they want their uh, fair share and they want to be treated as equals. That's what has really changed. So it's like now you have the people who've been privileged feeling that they're being oppressed and they're pushing back. Mm. The um, white nationalists has has always been there, but they've been more covert. I think they really started – I think they really started with – coming out with the election of President Obama. Hmm. And it's like, so like that's when they started coming out because of the whole concept of uh, a black man being the, the leader of the free world. So it's like, then they start coming out. Now what's happening is, it's like with the election of President Trump, they have what they feel is a license to actually do the things that they need to do. So they no longer have that fear. So, well, you know, let me let me shift gears a little bit. Um, I don't want to necessarily, I mean, we know that our past, I'm sorry, that our present is rooted in the past. You know, we didn't get here just all of an instant. Uh, so, I mean, I don't want to discount the historical uh, narrative, but looking at this idea of uh, diversity and in your role as a counselor educator, um, what are some of the ways that you teach diversity or you promote diversity? Well, um, teaching counselors and training, one of the things I emphasize the most is, is the, um, the African uh, proverb of know thyself. Mm-hmm. So I, make, I encourage all of my students to know themselves. So um, one of the things I do is let, write, have them write a, um, a, bio, uh, a biography about themselves and their culture and their ethnicity, and then to come in terms with their own personal biases because uh, we all have biases, and then as a counselor, those biases can be manifest, manifest and they can be projected onto our clients and cause uh, what we, I call racial microaggressions within the therapeutic sessions, okay. which can break down the whole um, the whole concept of counseling and therapy. So one of the things I like to do is I try to teach them what um, I learned at Northern Illinois was uh, what we call the invitation for repair, where you let the client know that although that you're two different people, the, the whole counseling session is about them 
and that you're going to do everything you can to see the world perspective as they see it. And if you don't get it exactly the way they feel that you're, they should be getting it, that you correct them, that you encourage them to correct them to try to um, repair that relationship. Because a lot of cultures, um, they don't like to fight authority. So it's like that plus the whole concept of making sure they understand different things about racial microaggression, how that impacts a person of color, how that impacts women, uh, how that impacts people who have uh, six different sexual orientations, and how that type of trauma can really uh, weigh a person down and it eventually can... You know, especially a person of color can lead to what uh, is called racial battle fatigue, and so things like that is. Um, I'm sorry. Happening. Racial yes. battle fatigue. Racial battle fatigue. Yes. Okay. You you, um, you got to expound so, on that. Okay. <laughs> well, let, let me finish up. First okay. Go, go I, ahead. My, 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 uh, <laughs> with. Um, and and so it's like one of the things. That's one. That's one of the main things I try to do. So I try to have those awkward conversations and try to push them and sometimes um, the pushing causes what is known as cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. and what cognitive dissonance basically is is when you have a set belief and then you get new information you do everything you can to hold on to that old information and try to reject the new one mm-hmm. and it causes sometimes for you to get you know very very defensive so it's like sometimes, you know, you just got to push through that and encourage the students to push through that. But I have had students that will kind of push back and say, you know, they don't want that. I mean, I've had um, students who, you know, accept it freely, but usually I have to keep pushing them along and knowing, you know, that that eggshell is eventually going to crack. They um, start realizing that how important it is to recognize how, culture and ethnicity and race uh, impacts the way a person sees the world and it also can be used to help heal that client. So that's usually how I work with my students and I try to make sure I do it in every class I teach because mm-hmm. if it's just in one class they're going to look at it as well it's not that important. So it's like research shows that it's best to be taught across the curriculum. Right. So either if I'm the only one teaching, if you take a class with me, <clears throat> you know eventually you're going to have, you know, con- you know, talks about white privilege. You're going to have talks about racial microaggressions and racial battle fatigue and how culture and different things like that impact. So go back to your original question about racial battle fatigue. Dr. Raheem, um, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, if I could just put a pin in the racial battle fatigue for just a moment because I, I really feel like, what you just said, um, for, for some reason, I feel like there's a listener who's asking the question, and I'm channeling the question. So, <laughs> so I'm going to ask this question. What you just mentioned, your, your methodology, the way that you go about instructing uh, these future counselors or these aspiring counselors, do you feel like, or I should not say do you feel like, but is there a place, is there a... Um, is there a place for this type of teaching and this type of instruction and awareness on the on the high school level, on the grammar school level? And it it almost and I know this is a specialized uh, field, but it, this seems like something that should be taught in a in a diverse society from yeah. from day one. Okay, to, to channel that 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 listener's question. Um, I think anyone who's graduated from high school in America either is, have racial, have racist ideologies as far as like a white supremacist ideology or they have an inferiority complex that they're a person of color. Hmm. Because the way the, way the curriculum is in uh, American schools, you don't learn about uh, outstanding things that people of color have done in not only here in, in America, but throughout the world. And the only thing you really hear about is kind of like the standardized history of Columbus discovered America, George Washington was the first president. So you don't hear, and you, you know, uh, Africans were brung over and been was enslaved for 400 years. Now they're trying to change that to where they were getting a, they had a non-paid internship in Texas. So I think it's, 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 it's essential 
that if we're going to really try to change the concept of um, individual racism, that one of the things we have to do is attack the institution of education and change the curriculum on what is being taught. Because I think it actually, to try to fight racism, you have to fight it on different fronts, not just the individual concept, but also the institutional and the structural. Because um, whether it's higher ed or it's middle school or it's high school, it's, it's structured as far as a curriculum to kind of glorify a white supremacy um, framework. So in order to really change that, as far as, you know, having true diversity, what we really need to do is change the structures of racism. Because to me, racism is not about me hating you, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you're a Packer fan, of course. But it's not about it's not just about me hating you. It's it's about the whole. It's a systemic thing. It's a system. So you know you got to have the power to be able to create policies, and the policies to keep people down, to keep people segregated. Um, because um, so it's like that's that's the things we got to really change. But as far as education, we're just going to focus on education. Yet we have to change that uh, institution, the structural process of. The whole curriculum, yes, it's not too early um, to change that. As a matter of fact, probably at the first grade, it'll probably be too late. Wow. Wow. If we so, don't do something right away. Right. Um, so I was, um, I heard a discussion, and in the discussion it was about, it was the history of labor. As a matter of fact, I think it was, it was related to, uh, the enslavement of uh, African peoples in the United States and their relationship with the earlier um, earlier European settlers. Mm-hmm. And the commentator was a historian, and she said that the history of labor or the history of racism is the history of labor. I thought that was a really profound um, statement, you know, as to how the, the wedges have been, you know, placed in between us and how they continue to be placed. But let me go back to, to you. You were about to answer the question, this, this oh. term of racial battle fatigue. What, what, exactly, what exactly is that? Okay, before I get to racial battle fatigue, mm-hmm. let me define what uh, racial microaggressions are. And what racial microaggressions are, they're like commonplace um, verbal or behavioral indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, and they communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative slights and insults. And there's like three, I say four kinds of microaggressions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's micro insults, micro assaults micro-invalidations, and uh, environmental microaggressions. And, but those are usually more on a macro level. And the reason they're called microaggressions is because they're usually like personal attacks, while the environmental uh, microaggression is more like a systemic thing like the water in Flint, Michigan, mm. where a whole community is suffering. Or like, say, for example, the air supply out here in Fresno or some of the um, the water situation here in Fresno. But it's like you can find almost Flint, Michigan is not, you know, a standalone thing because if you go to just about any uh, area where it's um, people of color and it's poor, you'll find that there's a large amount of lead in the water because um, there's a large amount of lead in the water um, on the south side and the west side of Chicago. And so it's like, so Flint, Michigan is the one that's exposed it. But when you really look around and you, you, you really pay attention to it, there's a large amount of lead. Cause it was some people who was theorizing that that's one of the reasons they feel there might be so much violence in Chicago is because of the lead in the water. Wow. Yes. But um, so it's like the micro insults are when, you know, like you ascribe intelligence to a person all because of their ethnicity or they become a second-class citizen, or you uh, make a pathology about the person's cultural values or their communication style, or you assume they're a criminal because of the way they look, because of their race. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and the micro invalidations are more like when you have an alien, you're alien in your own land, when a person always asks you, where are you from? Um, do you know how to speak Spanish? Do you know how to speak Arabic? You know, so them the are micro invalidations or the person keeps saying that they're colorblind or the whole <laughs> myth of meritocracy. Um, those are micro invalidations. So what happens is when they accumulate over time, what happens is the person starts feeling that they're at war. So if they accumulate over time, the person starts feeling they're at war. So they, they, they get things like frustration, anger, exhaustion. They try to physically avoid certain situations because they know that, you know, this is going to happen again. They might psychologically withdraw. Uh, sometimes they accept certain racial stereotypes. Um, they sometimes start verbally uh, or non-verbally start fighting back. But it's almost like PTSD, where it's like, here we go again, and it just keep, you just feel like you at war, and it just keep battling, and it just weighs on you because of the fact that you feel that you're in a racial situation that you can't get out of. Mm. So our diversity has the, the end result with these microaggressions and racial battle fatigue of of inducing stress not not bringing yeah. about strength well mm. that's that's like two questions well I, mean, I, I really i was i'm sorry i was kind of just oh, just okay. responding to what, what you were saying but you know what with the diversity the diversity diversity i'm not saying diversity is a bad thing diversity is a great thing right if it's truly accepted but see a lot of people don't understand what really accounts for diversity. They think it's like, oh, you know, Imam Tariq, well, okay, you know, you work here. We got this um, black Muslim guy here, so we diverse. But the whole thing is, it's not just about, you know, the physical. It's about the psychological and the cognitive. So if you're going to really be diverse, you got to be willing to accept others' ideas, their perspectives, not just have them there for, you know, show behind a looking glass. To say, look, we got a black guy here, or look, we got a Latino guy here, look, we got a Muslim guy here, we got a Muslima here. You know, it right. is not about just you know just showing. You got to be able to truly make efforts to accept them as an individual, as a person, and as their culture. So it's like you know having a job and and, and being able to accept the fact that they have different holidays, they have an E. You know, being able to accept the fact that every Friday they're going to want to go to Juma between a certain time, um, being able to accept the fact that this sister is going to wear her jab and not walk around trying to whisper behind her back saying she's oppressed or that um, she has she's a terrorist or so it's like so it's like being able to accept the fact that as a black man that he's going to have a certain uh, way of communicating and carrying itself. A black woman is going to have a certain way of communicating and carrying herself. Not telling a Latino, a Latino, or even uh, somebody from Somalia or something like that, that they have to speak English because they're in America. If you're truly diverse, you're, you're welcoming everybody's uh, culture. You're welcoming everybody's perspective. You're welcoming. You're not tolerating it. You're welcoming it. So it's like, that's what true diversity is. So it's not just, oh, well, we got all these different people here, so we're diverse. No, you got to be able to actually psychologically welcome people and make them have a sense of belonging, a sense of well-being because of the fact that they know that their culture is not looked down upon. Different doesn't mean better or worse. It just means different. It's, it still held the same natural uh, cultural value as yours. Mm-hmm. But you got to be able to accept the fact that it's just as important to that person as your culture is important to you. And that's why you're a Dr. Rahim. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna take a, a quick break, uh, folks. So stick with us. We'll be back. We're talking with uh, Dr. Malik Rahim, uh, and he is just illuminating on this topic of diversity. Um, you know, in, in contrast to the idea of white nationalism. So, um, 312-750-1178, 312-750-1178. We'd love to get your calls and hear what you have to say when we come back. You are listening to Radio Islam. I shoved the envelope under my sweater and sneaked to the kitchen. Mom was on the phone in the front room. 
I didn't want to have to explain anything. I just wanted to be by myself. Clutching the envelope tightly, I stepped onto the ladder at the bottom of the treehouse. Something caught my eye above me, and I looked up. <gasps> Light! It looked as if there were a firework display going on inside the treehouse. Crackling and snapping and whizzing sounds spun around above my head. Light shot out and sparks dancing to the popping of noise. My first thought was to scream fire and run to the house to get mom. My legs trembled as I inched upward, creeping up the rungs as quietly as I could. My heart banged so hard that it felt as if someone were hitting my chest. A couple more steps, and then I leaned forward, craning my neck to look inside. And then I looked up and saw... To find out what happens next, read Philippa Fisher's Fairy Godsister by Liz Kessler. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. And now we have an eight-year-old on the line. Welcome to our world today. What's your question? Our continents make up 29% of the Earth's surface, meaning that 71% is comprised of water. Man automatically adapts to environmental conditions. So why do I need to take swimming lessons? Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to mypyramid.gov. Brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. Welcome back. Welcome back, Radio Islam family. You are obviously listening to Radio Islam, and we are broadcasting on WCEV, 1450 AM Chicago. We reach the world by streaming live at www.wcev.1450.com. You can review all of our previous shows, articles, guest bios, and other information at our site, www. .radioislam.com Make sure that you're following us on all social media platforms Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Radio Islam USA Tonight's broadcast as is the case with all of our broadcasts are generally up for download available as podcasts on SoundCloud so catch up with us there at Radio Islam USA We've been having a great discussion uh, a very enlightening discussion talking with Dr. Malik Rahim. And we're talking about diversity uh, in contrast with or promoting diversity, you know, in the wake of white nationalism. And he shared some extremely, as a counselor educator, um, one who teaches counselors that will be dealing with a diverse um, audience. He teaches them how to engage them in a way uh, that's respect, respectful. Um, of their uh, identities. So let me ask you this question, um, Dr. Rahim. Yeah. Racism is often simply looked at, and I think you may have alluded to this earlier, but racism is often simply looked at as a matter of, uh, as a matter of hate um, or ignorance. But do you think racism is indicative of mental illness? <laughs> You'll get me in trouble. Okay, as it as is constant as is constituted now, no. Mm -hmm. Um, there's no diagnosis for racism in the uh, the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. Mm -hmm. There's no diagnosis for it. Okay. However, I can see. God know has been a big push by um, black psychiatrists, black social psychologists, black counselors, black social workers, and other Latino and um, Asian psychologists, psychiatrists, and social workers to have it as a standalone diagnosis. But the um, psychiatric association has been kind of fighting against that. But if you if you go and you look at um, the personality disorder of narcissism, mm -hmm. is very closely um, it can very closely describe someone who has a white nationalist ideology. 
and it's basically that they have a pattern of grandiosity in fantasy or behavior. They have a need for aberration. They have a total lack of empathy. Um, so it's like when you look at that, it's like you can easily say that um, a lot of people who are um, racist or white nationalists, you you can easily say that they have you know, it can be described with um, a personality disorder called narcissistic. Now, there was this book out by um, Dr. Francis Cress Wilson called The Isis Papers. And one of the things that she theorized was that the whole concept of white nationalism and white racism and white superiority was based off of the defense mechanism um, by Sigmund Freud called reaction formation. And what reaction formation basically is in a, in a nutshell is, is that you have something that I can't have. And I, I, I hate the fact that you have that I can't have. So what I do is I degrade what you have and start talking about how great what I have is and how everybody should want what I have and not what you have. So it's like the, the theory went on to say because of the fact of the, the, the envy of the dark skin, what they did was they started turning around and making their features better. And, and so that's, the whole, that's when the whole concept of white you know, supremacy and the white frame of reference started kicking in. Um, that's how that theory kicked off. So it's like um, there has been um, different, you know, pushes to make racism a uh, mental illness. Even if you just look at the whole concept of you hating someone and you're doing things to keep someone um, oppressed that never did anything to you. Hmm. You, you, when you look at it like that, you can see how that sounds kind of like mentally you're not quite healthy. Right. But um, like I said, it's not a, um, an official diagnosis. Um, there has been and there still are push and campaigns for it to become a diagnosis. I don't know um, if the American Psychiatric Association will ever, you know, concede and say yes I heard one of the issues was they were fearful on how many people would end up with that diagnosis hmm. of racism and that certainly and, would speak to the to the systemic you know hold um, you know that this that this ideology uh, that it has right I mean I mean, I don't want to go back too much in the past, but even the father of uh, American psychiatry, um, um, Caldwell, mm -hmm. Dr. Caldwell, what he did was he he created a diagnosis um, called drapedomania, yeah, where um, black people who did not want to be enslaved and ran away were considered mentally ill. So when you look at the history of you know, the whole psychiatric field um, is kind of laced with, you know, little tidbits and hidden gems of racism. So the um, the structures, you know, have to be broken down in order for racism and white nationalism to go away. Um, hmm. Okay. So... <clears throat> What are your thoughts on, I mean, you've you mentioned uh, the need for having a, I guess, a strong self-identity, one that can also accommodate and allow for others to also have, um, you know, an appreciation for their identity, you know, as, as being key to having diversity. Um, so what are your thoughts on uh, the idea of complementing diversity or, or diversity that, that strengthens versus uh, a competing diversity, which I think, 
Or do you think do you think those are accurate uh, terms, or is that do you think that's an accurate assessment to say that we have a competing diversity as opposed to a complementing diversity? Yes, I, I could easily see how that could easily be the um, way it's described because, it's, like I said, it's like in order to really have diversity, you got to be you know welcoming and have a psychological uh, welcoming and, and be um, and as far as like uh, having a. Uh, openness to be psychologically diverse to welcome people in their culture you know wholeheartedly and not trying to um keep somebody oppressed and suppressed as far as the culture and telling somebody they have to assimilate in order to actually be you know part of this bigger picture and or you know culturally appropriate something and then you know turn around and say it's yours um the whole thing about the complimenting is that is is that you you recognize the importance of everyone's culture and the things and every what everyone is bringing to the table, and you recognize that and you're excited about that and you have a sense of belonging for everybody and a place for everybody to where everything is equitable, not equal, but equitable, because sometimes people get confused with the whole concept of equitable and equal. Um, I mean, I've stood next to you, so you're a little bit taller than me, but if we were going to both try to look over a seven-foot fence and they both gave us the same size box, you would probably see the fence and I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But if it was going to be equitable, my box would be a little bit taller than yours so we both can see the fence. So sometimes you might have to give somebody a little bit more because in the, you know, because in the past they were oppressed and it takes you know, things for them to catch up. So it's like um, there's certain things that we need to um, we need to look at as far as um, how we're going to actually you know implement the complementing diversity and and getting a fuller understanding. And it's like I said earlier, you know, one of the things we have to do is rip apart some of these institutions and structures and change a lot of policies. Hmm. You know what? I want to go ahead and take a second to uh, to relay the comments of one of our listeners uh, who tweeted who tweeted me, and they say that many of us live, work, and go to school in diverse settings. We experience unfair treatment and react, and get labeled as angry. Um, and I think that uh, well, what what do you say to that? I, I'm going to just just defer to you as the uh, as the expert here, uh, what is that? How, how do you, how do you respond well, to that? Well, I, I'm not going to diagnose anything that I, I'm not seeing anybody, mm-hmm. but just listening to what they're saying is it sounds like, you know, it might be a little bit of racial battle fatigue going on. It might be a lot of where, you know, the whole concept of competing diversity, where the people who have been privileged are now turning like they're oppressing and, they turned around and, and and kind of, even though you're there, you're more or less behind a glass for show. And your culture and everything is not given a, a, a welcoming and a sense of belonging. So it's like they have this stereotype that you're just angry when you're trying to, you know, do social justice advocacy for yourself. And so they got this, they got this stereotype in their mind. I don't know you know, what ethnicity or, or culture or race the person is, but they had a stereotype in their mind that, you know, you're just angry. You're just, you know, hostile. And it's like, no matter what you do, they just see that, you know, and that's how they're labeling you because that's how they, you know, their prejudice and their biases envision you. Hmm. Um, as we, uh, we, we are, Unfortunately, we, we really never have enough time, especially when we have a uh, guest of your caliber uh, joining us. Uh, we want to ask you, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, you've got about two minutes left. Do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, is there, are there ways for our listeners to keep up with you, uh, stay in contact with you? Um, let's see. I have a Facebook page, Dr. Malik Raheem. Um, I have a website, um, MalikRaheem.com. Malik Raheem is all one word. Okay. Um, let me see. Keep me in your prayers. 
I'll try to keep you in your prayer. Yes, sir. Um, I love Chicago. Go White Sox. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know sooner or later we're going to bust through and have a better season, yeah. but I'm liking what I see. Um, I hope the Cubs make the playoffs only because I'm out here in California and I need something to be able to see Chicago. Yes. Um, if you're in Chicago right now, eat a uh, deep dish pizza for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Dr. Raheem, we are, we are truly appreciative of you taking the time to talk with us about this uh, important topic. Uh, we appreciate well, thank your you perspectives. For having me. Yes, 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 indeed. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back. Um, you know, we don't want this to be a one-time thing. We'd love to have you back uh, down the road. So uh, we definitely pray for your success, your continued success, uh, molding these, these minds that are going to be working with, uh, you know, with the public. So continued success with uh, all that you're doing. Uh, folks, uh, we want to remind you that uh, as we close about the rally that's taking place Saturday the 16th at 2, 2 p.m. at uh, Federal Plaza. Uh, and this is for this is to uh, to give a voice to end the genocide that's taking place in Burma against the Rohingya, the indigenous uh, Muslim population there. So you've been listening to Radio Islam. We're a call-in talk show, and we broadcast live every day, six to seven, uh, six to seven p.m. seven days a week on WCEV fourteen fifty. To find out more about tonight's guests and their work, hop on to SoundCloud at Radio Islam USA. You can also stream and download and comment on our shows. We'd love to get your comments, hear what you think about what we're doing. Uh, you can also catch us on iTunes and Google Play and stream straight from your phone. Don't forget to rate and preview, or sorry, review our podcast. So the executive producer of Radio Islam is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Uh, your producer and host tonight, yours truly, Tariq el Our audio engineer uh, in-house is the uh, masterful Ibrahim Bey. Our engineer at WCEV has been Leonard. Uh, we remind you that the views expressed are the views of the host and guest and not of the Sound Vision Foundation. I'm your host, Tariq el Join us tomorrow evening as we talk with 19-year-old... Um, what is this? Bushra. Bushra Amawala, who is running for Cook County, um, Cook County Commissioner. So we look forward to talking to you tomorrow night. I leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be with you.